Good morning. I'd like us just to reflect before we start, because I want to invite you to recognize that God, the Holy Spirit, is here, and that his intention is to do business with you. It may be that God has already spoken to you this morning. It may be that God has encouraged you, challenged you. Simply let you know that he's with you. But I'd like to give you the opportunity of just a few moments now to close your eyes and say, Lord God, here I am. Speak to me. And Lord, together we say, speak to us in whatever way you will. Amen. I want to think for a little while about journeys. We all make journeys of various sort. Next week, as we've heard already, starts the season of Advent. And Advent is very much a time of remembering journeys. It's remembering the journey that Jesus made to come into our world. Becoming Emmanuel, God who is with us. Christ not only comes to us, but by his Holy Spirit comes into our lives and becomes not just God with us, but God within us, the hope of glory. And so I hope you're looking forward to Christmas. So easy to get distracted, isn't it, by all the tinsel, the flashing lights, I can even see out the door there now, and forget The Jesus who really is the reason for the season. But Advent is a time when we remember all sorts of journeys. It's a time when we remember Joseph and Mary's journey. I don't ever reflected on it. I actually spoke on it last year. What Joseph had to actually do to get his heavily pregnant wife from Nazareth in the north of the country to Bethlehem in the south actually takes a lot of thinking about. He was no wimp, was Joseph. He was a tough guy. Because I guess he was half carrying both Mary and the donkey for some of that journey, because it's not an easy road down through the Jordan Valley. Because it's not so much a valley as a gorge for much of the journey. And I know they were with others. But I just want to present Joseph to you as a strong man. And God needs strong men in his kingdom. And then there were the shepherds. They made a rather shorter journey, didn't they? Although in terms of emotion, I think it was a pretty large journey. It says they were scared stiff. That's my version. When the skies opened above them and the angels appeared singing. And they were told to go on a journey of just a few hundred meters. From the hillsides outside Bethlehem. To an undercroft where the cattle were kept inside Bethlehem. And then there are the wise men. Again, we tend to think of them in sort of tinsel shades. Not only did they travel a long way from the hills of eastern Persia, probably, to see Jesus, they had to take risks 
proclaiming the birth of a new king to the king is, let's face it, ever so slightly awkward. But they did it. And they came. And it probably took them several weeks on the journey. More strong men prepared to do what they knew had to be done because God had spoken to them. And then there's you and me. What sort of journeys are we going to make over this Advent time? Journeys to shops. Or you do it online. Don't have to move from home. But are we going to make afresh that journey to meet with Jesus? It's just an opportunity in the year to remember that Jesus came for you and he came for me. And we're invited to join the journey to Bethlehem. I know it was a long time ago, but it still is relevant. There could not have been a cross without a cradle. And the wonder of that cradle, of of the God who, as I was reading in, in Psalm this morning, no, in Isaiah, it says he measures the heavens with his finger. How big is this God of ours? And yet, as a hymn writer says, he became contracted to a span and came amongst us. This is what we look forward to as his people at Christmas. Look forward to remembering and celebrating together. But you know, over the past two years, it seems BCC, Beverly Community Church, has been on a number of journeys. Let me remind you, start of last year, we journeyed with the Israelites and Moses out of Egypt, out of captivity and into the wilderness to meet with God. And the challenge to us was based around the two questions that Moses himself asked when he first encountered God at the burning bush. Remember those two questions? Who are you? And then, but who am I? I'm going to return to that question shortly in a different form. Remember what journey we went on for the second half of last year? Not Richard, because he preached it. (laughs) Well, most of it. Well, it's the easy one really, isn't it? Second half of last year, we joined Joshua as he then picked up the baton from Moses and took God's people across Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And we thought about that crossing over into the Promised Land. And we noted this, that actually going into the promised land, and Ali reminded us of it again last week, wasn't an easy option. God said, it's yours, but they still had to take it. They still had to trust God. They still had to use the strength that he had given them to do the business that he'd put in front of them, but knowing that he was with them. And that's true for some of us. We still need to do the business that's in front of us, knowing that God's with us, 
But God is not a magician. He doesn't wave a wand. He says, I will be with you. Get going. And then, start of this year, we began the, the long journey, but a good journey, with, Acts, with Paul, rather, through the Acts of the Apostles. And we finished that just four weeks ago, three weeks ago. And was it 19 episodes we had? 19 episodes of journeying with Paul. So it's fair to say we've been on a fair bit of journeying as a church over the past two years. Paul's journey is a very different sort of journey. And the question that I found myself asking was, what was it that drove Paul? Now, Richard did suggest some answers. But we read a scripture three weeks ago, which perhaps gets us even closer to the answer of what it was that drove Paul and perhaps what it should be that drives us. And actually what we've been singing about this morning, and thank you Richard for laying the platform for this morning too. 2 Corinthians 5.14 The love of Christ, Paul said, is what compels us. Now the thing that fascinated me about this word That's it there. Bit easier that way. Sineco. It's impossible to translate in English because we don't have a direct translation for this word. It means all sorts of things. If you look at the different contexts it's used in scripture, those are some of the contexts that it's used in. The love of Christ compels constrains, holds fast, hems in, even infects. You know, when it says that Jesus went to Simon Peter's house because his mother-in-law was sick of a fever, she was synechoed of a fever. And I love it when God gives us words that actually we have to think about in a bit more depth. And that's why the work of translating scriptures is such a challenge Because there aren't so often direct equivalents that you can just say, well, that's what that means in English, and so we just swap it across. It just isn't like that. It is for some basic words. But for an awful lot of words, we have to grasp what they mean. And this word, syneco, I think allows us to get very much closer to the heart of what Paul is saying as we explore something of what it means. Paul is saying very simply that the love of God has so infected me, so gripped hold of me, so bound me up and hemmed me in so I have no other options but to do what I do. That that's what is driving me every day. Now I find that fascinating. I don't know about you. The idea of God's love being a driving force. Not love for God. Because Paul is very careful. And elsewhere in scripture too. Not to say that. It's the love of God. 
And again, that's what we have been mostly singing about this morning. It's God's love for us. It's as we begin to realize just how much God loves us. Despite who we are, what we are, where we've been, what we've done, what we still do. The extent, the depth of God's love that actually should become the driving force that takes us through each day and into the world. As part of the preparation for this, um, I, I had the dubious pleasure of reading Tertullian's third journal. He wrote in the second century, and he was writing to the Roman authorities to say, can I just ask why it is that you are killing Christians? That's roughly how it starts. And then he has a long list of all the things that they've been doing to Christians. And at the end of it, he basically says, but actually you've been killing people you know are good. So can you just tell me why? But all through it, he lists what Christians were putting up with in the second century A.D., And I have to say, it's not pleasant reading. He describes specifically what they did to some of the guys, old guys, young guys. What they did with some of the women, old women, young women. What they did with children. And you think, how on earth did they put up with this? What would I have done in their position? And that's why I want us just to reflect on some scripture for a few minutes from John's first letter. Because John's letter is all about the love of God. And in just one little passage from it, let's see what God has to say to us. I want to start at verse 7. It's difficult to take bits out because it's one single letter, but there we are. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, then God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And God is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world... We're like him. There's no fear in love. 
But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the man who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. And this is love for God. To obey his commands. And yet his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The love that John is talking about there, the love that compelled, constrained, that had infected Paul, is not a a comfort blanket. It's not a security measure, although it is indeed both of those. It's a powerful driving force right in the center of our lives. Not just Paul's life, not just John's life, but our lives, your life, the love of God, As we get to understand just a little bit of how much God loves us, it begins to change the person you are, the person I am. It begins to change the things we do, the things we say, because it infects us too. God's love is meant to be infectious. It's meant to get hold of each one of us. And it's a bit of a puzzle. And I've deliberately put this in Greek. Hotheos agape estin. God is love. You can put it into English phonics if you like. But if I didn't tell you what it meant, most of you in this room wouldn't have a clue what it meant. And, and it's like that with God's love. The problem for many of us is we really haven't a clue what we're talking about. And, and people can try to explain it to us and I can try to explain it to you and Richard can try to explain it to you. But we need revelation. We need revelation from the Holy Spirit so that we know that God is love. He is love. That's the bottom line. He is love. And whatever you're facing, whatever you have faced, whatever the hurdles in your life, God says to you, I am love. I am good. 
And if you browse through the Psalms, you'll find that again and again and again and again and again, the psalmist says, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. If you're bored this afternoon, you could go and work out how many times it says that in the Psalms, because it's actually rather a lot. And there's one Psalm that repeats it again and again and again. And I notice with interest that this word agape is not eros, erotic love. It's not brotherly or family love. It's sacrificial, self-giving, without expectation of any reward, love. This is the sort of love that God is talking about for us. God gave the very best he had for us. He gave himself in Christ that we might be saved. And can I just say that God hasn't changed the nature of his love in the intervening 2,000 years. He still loves you and me sacrificially. And I find that just an extraordinary thought to ponder over. We think he did it once and that's enough. And yes, in one sense, it was enough that Christ died for us once for the sins of the whole world. But God continues to love you with agape love, day by day. He really does care. You really do matter. I really do matter to God. And I find it interesting that if, if you read the authorized version of the Bible, it would start many of the paragraphs in John's letter with either the word beloved or dearly beloved. And we sort of think that as a sort of rather twee phrase these days, which might be used on a television program when they're taking off vicars in churches. Dearly beloved, the scripture moves us in sundry places and in diverse manners, etc. You know the stuff, yes. And... Um, The vicar of Dibley has been known to use this phrase. But what's it really saying? It's the most interesting word. It's actually this Greek word, agapetoi. He's saying, you who are the ones who are dearly, sacrificially and totally loved by God... This is what I want to say to you. John uses two ways of addressing people in his letter, and he uses them interchangeably all the way through, almost alternately but not quite. He refers to them as children, God's children, and he refers to them as God's agapetoi, God's sacrificially loved, never going back on this love, God. Because he's saying... You're facing tough times. It's not easy. There's a world that's against you. There's an enemy that's against you in the spiritual realms. But what keeps you going is knowing this. That God loves you. You are safe, secure, in the eye of God, in the arms of God. And when I read through Tertullian, the descriptions of people going through to their death, you see... It really puzzled the locals. And it's from that description that there comes that phrase that we often hear quoted, see 
how these Christians love each other. And Tertullian has got some brackets in the middle of that statement, which I didn't know about till I actually read it. See how these Christians love. And in brackets he says, we hate each other. Odd people, these Christians. How they love one another. In brackets, we prefer to stick knives in each other. He's just drawing a parallel. He's, he's saying, for you Romans, Christians are a real enigma. They just don't do things the way we do it. They love one another. And love drives them. And love flows out of them. And that's why Tertullian says at the end, so why do you want to kill us? This love of God, this agape love. By the way, you can describe yourself as an agapetoi or an agapeton, a dearly loved one of God. When life's getting tough, look in the mirror and say, I'm an agapeton. What a silly word to say, because we're not Greek, are we? But say in the mirror, I'm dearly loved by God. He really does love me. It's love that brought about our new birth. And as we read in that passage, John tells us, it's also love that evidences our continuing relationship with God. That's what much of that passage we read is all about. And he also tells us that as you begin to know that love of God, as you begin to let the Holy Spirit just open your understanding to grasping hold of just how much God loves you, he says you realize you can rely on this love. You can rely on this love when you step out the front door into the street and face whatever you have to face. You can rely on this love if you've got to know this love. And he tells us, God is love. Whoever lives in love, lives in God and God in him. And love is made complete among us. This is the thing that the Romans and the barbarians around just could not get hold of. This love stuff. Oh, they knew about love, erotic love. You want to read about that? You think we're bad these days? They were awful. And it resulted in the most appalling abuse of women, children, male and female. Not a nice culture to be part of. And yet they looked at these people, some of whom were their friends who had changed sides and somehow been transformed. By this love of God that is so completed amongst us. That doesn't mean that Everything that is of God is somehow visible in us. But it's saying that God's love is reflected in such a way amongst us that other people can see, whoa, this is different. These people are different. 
And actually what happened in the Roman world was loads of people said, actually I'd much prefer that to what we've got, even if it does mean the arena. The love of God, which just infected them through and through. And he says to them, quite rightly, actually, they were quite frightened. But he says, actually, if you've grasped hold of the love of God, you don't need to be afraid. Because perfect love, and God's love is perfect, casts out fear. You do not need to be afraid. Whatever it is you're afraid of, God loves you. There is no need to be afraid because perfect love casts out fear. And he reminds us that everything that we do, everything that, every way in which we reach out to others in love, we do it because first he loved us and we're driven by that love of God that compels us that infects us, that takes us forward. This love propels us into action. Again, that passage is quite clear. We learn to love God as our Father. We learn to love his children. That's one another. We learn to love through our obedience to his commands. And this love, John says, makes you an overcomer. Once you grasp that love, then there is absolutely nothing out there that can make you afraid anymore. Nothing. And again I stress, John was writing to people who were facing very tough circumstances if they declared their love for God. And John says, no, actually, this love, once you've got it, it makes you an overcomer. And that actually made some of the Romans cross. And again, in Tertullian, when you describe, it describes how some people were... Um, the ways in which they were killed, I won't go into details, by people who were just so angry because they couldn't make them change. So I want to encourage you and me to get a grip of love. Peter told us two Sundays ago that this life is just an hors d'oeuvre before eternity. Was that your own original phrase, Peter? It sounded like it. It was. I like it. It's a really good one. I shall use it in various places. And he told us that we were to learn to be an inspiration, to be inspired and to be an inspiration to others through God who lives within us and who works through us. It's the same principle, the love of God that actually makes us able to be what otherwise we simply can't be. And, and last week, Ali talked to us about on the brink. I presume there's a baby, is there? Is this why he's not with us this morning? 
Lord bless them, whatever state they're in. But he told us to be strong and very courageous, not afraid or dismayed, which I happen to know because I did some teaching on this some years ago, is two Hebrew words, chazak and amatz, which mean get a grip and hold tight. And I thought, sineko. It's a word about getting a grip and holding tight, except it's God getting a grip of me and holding tight onto me. And I thought, that's exciting, but that's because I'm like that. bit sad, really. There you are. But, you know, it's, it's a choice. God can present his love to us. John has written about his love for us. We can experience it as we meet together with God's people. But do you want to risk living your life on the basis of God's love? That's the challenge. Are you willing to step out on the basis of knowing that God loves you? Are you willing to look at your neighbors and say, I can actually talk to them? Because God loves me. Are you willing to step into the feet of St. Paul, the shoes of St. Paul? I can go anywhere. Because God loves me. So it doesn't matter where I am. I shall still be with God and in his love. And he will go on having sacrificial love for me. Choose love. Love life. God's got a hold of you that's firmer than you could ever know. And he's never going to let go. That the Chazak and Amat's word, when I was first exploring them for some teaching I was doing, I was pointed towards a tug of war team. You know, that the two teams on either side, the instruction is take hold and, what was the second one? And pull, isn't it? Take hold, take a grip, pull. But actually, one of the teams loses. God never loses his grip on you or me never ever ever loses his grip on you you can trust him here's a question for you where does this come from anyone know where that statement comes from it's an advert yes it's actually a logo of a, a very famous company. No, but you're in the right sort of area. It's actually Hallmark Cards. This is their logo. Although I have to say I got out some recent ones and it's not on them at present. But it, it is the company's um, logo. When you care enough to send the very best. And actually... John Hall, who set the company up originally, was a Christian. So I don't know if any of this was going on in the back of his mind. I don't know at all. It doesn't tell me. But what I do know is this, that God loves you and me enough to send the very best. True? Hallelujah. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And as I explored the verses on God's love in scripture, I found something that puzzled me. Almost every one, like that one, John 3.16, love is in the past tense. 
God loved us. But it's a past continuous tense. You see, it didn't depend on what I was like. It doesn't depend on what I do tomorrow. God loved and continues to love you and me with sacrificial, self-giving love. And so, there's an invitation to every one of us to join the journey. A journey of knowing God's love better. And there are times when it's not easy. You say, God, where are you in my circumstance? But I want to say to you this morning, God is love. It's not changed. It's just there are times when it's not so easy to see. God is love. And then we're invited to the journey of helping others to know God's love as well. And there are two parts of that journey. There's a journey of discipleship. Helping others to grow in their knowledge of God. I don't mean information about God. I mean experience of God. And then it's reaching out to those who know nothing of the love of God. And introducing them to the God who loves them just as much as he loves you and me. And so I want to invite you really to ask that question as we finish. Are you someone who is overcome by life? Or are you someone who is an overcomer in life through the love of God that's in you? Because that's what Paul was. Paul was an overcomer. He overcame all the situations. And you can read about them. You know, the shipwrecks, the hardships. He was lashed end times. And, um, all sorts of things he put up with. Just because he was a tough guy? No. Because he was infected with the love of God. It just empowered. It drove. It enabled. It was amazing. So you, where are you on the journey? And I ask that to everyone in this room. None of us have made it to the goal yet of seeing God face to face. I hope that every person in this room has started on the journey of knowing the love of God, of getting to know God better, of giving time to him in the busyness of the days we live in in these days. Letting God touch you with his love. Allowing yourself to become ever more infected by the love of God. That it changes you. That it drives you. That it enables you to do things way beyond your abilities in the natural. To do them and achieve them. This is what's on offer. I want to commend to you the love of God. And I want to pray. Lord God, I want to say thank you for your love for me. Your love which doesn't depend on who I am, what I do. But you've just chosen to love me. Because you are 
love. Lord, help me to grasp a little bit more of how much you love me, of how secure I can be in your love, of how unafraid I can be because of your love that holds me. Of those days when I doubt, you still love me. You're still with me. You're still for me. And your love began a good work in me. And it will be fully accomplished on a day when I see you face to face. And Lord, I ask for each one of us here who who perhaps is struggling with knowing that God loves them because of what they're going through at the present time. Lord, I simply ask that you would help them to open themselves once more to a fresh revelation of your love, your care for them. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of love. And that you love us. And that you love me. In Jesus name. Amen.